RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So I'm reading from a Herald story uh, published yesterday, Monday. Winston Peters promises millions in compensation to vax injured and people mandated out of work. I'm going to get to that with Winston in just a moment. Winston, welcome back to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me on your program. Okay, so quite a big meeting over the weekend. Orewa, I think it was, 350 is the figure that they, I have here in the story. Uh, how's that compared to other experiences you've had uh, in previous elections and this one? Is that a good crowd? Sounds reasonable. Oh, these are great crowds. It's, uh, you know, standing room only, and we had one uh, on Sunday, the day after, at uh, Glenfield, and the same result. So it's going very, very well. Thank you very much. I want to get to the uh, vaccine thing in just a moment. First, though, on the economic front, while I've got you, I've just been looking up some of the uh, stories out there at the moment. New Zealand economy faces a year or more of tepid growth. New Zealand economy set for slow growth, IMF. The next year will be tough for farmers. Whoever comes in in October has to deal with this. What are your thoughts and what would be your plan economically? Well, the IMF uh, warning and statement is entirely correct. I mean, the growth of uh, our economy now is the lowest in the Asia-Pacific. They're averaging about 4.4%. We're averaging under 1% GDP, and it'll get worse uh, because of a number of circumstances, including the Chinese economy, uh, but also uh, the fact that we have squandered so much money uh, that has not had any long-term economic benefit for this country. And we're possibly 14 to $20 billion in a hole, which will be known uh, much more clearly in just nine days' time when the uh, a few days' time when the preview comes out. Um, that's the pre-election economic fiscal update on the 12th of September. All this is forecastable, and I said so a long time ago, and it's had to be proven right. But uh, we are in a circumstance where in this election it appears so many political parties don't seem to be understanding or reading the economic room, so to speak, and making all sorts of promises which they are incapable of delivering. And that's why New Zealand First is saying, get back to basics for goodness sake and start to turn this economy around with policies that will work and which are desperately needed now and should be our priority now. What are those policies of the other parties that you're talking about that that they can't sort of... And they're promising, but they can't deliver on. Well, you've got uh, <laughs> an energy forward planning program from the uh, Labor Party, uh, which has, um, how shall I say it, $42 billion of forward expenditure. And they were so desperate, they had got BlackRock to get involved for a lousy $2 billion, all of which they had never raised one cent off, and will set up a fund overseas and then flog it off. To their benefit this is not santa claus here and it's i could name one after the other when hipkins for example announced three tunnels up in auckland mm. two under the harbour and one up the north shore to be linked to light rail which is not even started and already beyond 20 billion in cost please let's have some reality here rather than this la la land uh, environment of economic promises made to try and suck some innocent voters in I don't think you've made any road or tunnel promises, but it does seem to be a bit of a go-to for the other parties. You sort of throw out this lolly scramble of roads and bridges and tunnels. What is it about those sort of projects that they keep falling back on, do you think? Because light rail was promised in 2017, 
and here we are in 23 and nothing has even not even one meter has been started and it's ballooned out from 1.8 billion 1.9 billion originally to 20 billion now uh, but that that's not enough they came back those made it, all those other commitments and national said they're going to build a full lane highway to Whangarei, which on the puhoi to walk with the leg and the overcost there and delays there will take another 89 years point here the priority should be around the Bren Burwins on the eastern side that has to be fixed now because the last time it closed it closed for 73 days we can't have this sort of uh, a lack of prioritization of what's required in 2023 say so you're near the levers of power after October to staying on the economy one one last question how long to dig out of the hole do you think It'll take a long time to dig out of the hole, but the beginnings have to happen the day after the election. And it's getting back to the basics. We're an export-dependent nation. We're going to have to uh, export more and get far greater added value. Use IT to the extreme. Use the science to the extreme and do what other smart economies like Singapore, like uh, Iceland, uh, like um, the population of Taiwan and others are doing, and like Ireland is doing. We have fallen so far behind with what I call extremist ideology. And we're paying a massive price for that. And here it comes again, all the same old parties promising the same old things in a slide which began some time ago because they didn't focus on New Zealand's wealth creation and what we do best. Uh, the policy of funding uh, dental care for under 30s, which has just popped out of the woodwork in the last week from the Labour Party. What, what do you make of that? Well, they haven't got the people or the uh, facilities or the utilities to even deliver that promise. That's the first thing. And when they were challenged, they said, oh, we're going to start training all these new dentists. <laughs> now, here's the real point here. You don't make a promise knowing that it'll be frustrated by an absence of uh, capacity. This is the same party that promised to deal with mental health issues and gave $1.9 billion towards it. And now they've just built five hospital beds. I mean, this is calamitous stuff. No accountability and no record of what they have meant to be doing and no analysis of going forward to the extent that when they were asked, well, how does it work? And they said, we won't know this until five years from now. This is, is, that, the, is that the sort of policy you make when you know you will never have to deliver on it, do you think? Well, you should never be making a promise you don't know you have to deliver on. You should be making a promise that you are committed to delivering on and where you've done the fiscal analysis beforehand. And we've, bought, we've seen some of late, which just don't stack up. And all the economists are saying so. The um, health, the Ministry of Health and Government are pressuring councils to put fluoride into their water. This is a big issue for our listeners. And um, and there's sort of no consultation. It's a fait accompli. There is evidence that it could cause downsides neurologically, all that sort of stuff. But isn't uh, floating that policy at admission that fluoride doesn't work? Because <laughs> if it did, you wouldn't need to offer free dental care, would you? Oh, well, the real point there is, though, that the question of fluoride in the water should be up to, as it always was until recently, up to the local ratepayers in a referendum where the people speak and the people are the masters to decide. They're not doing that now. No, not that, but our policy is to go back to the people and let them decide. So no $200,000 fine to the um, to the, the council, no $10,000 a day fine if they don't do it. So that won't happen under you. Is that what you're saying? We want the restoration of democracy. Why do you think our slogan is, let's take back our country? 
the reason is that they've taken away democracy as well, and this is a classic example of it. All right, I want to play you this quick cut. Um, in terms of the vaccine mandates, I acknowledge that it was a challenging time for people, but they made ultimately made their own choices. There was no, there was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices. Okay, that was over the weekend. Christopher Hipkins, he's lying, isn't he? Well, you say that. Um, he's repeating a falsehood. People were either required to do that or to lose their jobs and being mandated out of financial existence, and that's precisely what happened. That's a bit barefaced, though, to, to stand up and say that. It's like being robbed, being a bank teller, being robbed. You can choose not to give the money, but you get your head blown off, right? Yes, that's right. And uh, then, you, I mean, he what he literally said was, when Jacinda Ardern was asked in 2021, is there going to be two standards, is there going to be two standards of citizenship? She said yes. Now, right there was a disaster, because if you did what they said you had to do, then you could carry on with your job. If you didn't, then you were going to be out of a job. And that's precisely what they did. And they were doing it in a climate where they knew enough to know that it's not 1920 to 2020 now. It's not when we first found out about COVID. No, this is a year on. And they then still implied that sort of dictatorial standard of which he is now backtracking and denying that it was. So not. he's walking that back, clearly. He's walking it back right now. Oh, well, the media were there. They know why they asked him, because what I'd said at, at my speech, that I want a full-scale inquiry into this matter, like they're doing overseas. A proper full-scale inquiry will tell you whether people were unfairly treated. The inquiry will tell you whether that should be, they should be compensated. And if the inquiry says that, it's up to the government then to listen. But I want an independent, comprehensive inquiry not something that is designed to cover the butts of politicians who made some serious mistakes. Is it I, possible I'm to... A triple, I'm a triple vaccinated person. The people yeah. have the right to say, I don't know, I don't know enough about this, and I don't want it. That's their entitlement. Is it possible to find the independence needed, given that so many people in the establishment have skin in the game on this one, to minimise any let's say, negative findings? It is entirely possible if politicians set about to do what an inquiry of this nature should do, uh, make sure you've got independent people. I know a number of experts who at the time, at the top of the, the um, field, so to speak, were saying, but you can't say that because we don't have enough evidence for that. And they were all gaslit and all, all shoved aside. These were leading people here and internationally. And I'm not a denier, like they will try and say. I'm just saying that having observed over a long period of time the thing called science and medical science, to, ab uh, to argue absolutely that you know it all, that you're the podium of truth, is just an admission that you don't understand education or science itself. Many vaccine-injured people, as you probably know, have been declined by ACC and face or have faced or are facing now personal financial costs for their treatment as a result or can't work or out of the workforce now. So I think you used the word proven on injury. That's a really high bar, by the way. No, it's not a high bar if you've got a proper system of examination. If on day one you were fine and the day after you had a vaccine, you had a appalling um, consequential attack, then maybe on the law of averages that was caused by the thing you had and myocarditis and all those sorts of things were known to be a possibility. And I know people who are in wheelchairs as a consequence. So rather than stand around and try and 
uh, argue that we got it right when we know we didn't, maybe we should be uh, much more statesmanlike than that and leave it to an independent commission of inquiry to find out the truth. What about accountability accountability for like the likes of Pfizer? Well, again, uh, this is an industry that made um, $100 billion in profits as a consequence, and there were, and there is emerging now, other alternatives that may or may not have been safer. But I'm not coming to a conclusion without I've listened to the experts first independently give me the outcome. But what I'm trying to say to you is that when people go to a doctor for an operation, they have to sign a, do- a consent document, and it's called informed consent. To be informed, you have to be told of the possible dangers. And people were not. Those are the facts. And if people in politics or in decision-making are going to argue that they got it right, despite evidence to the fact that they may not have, then they're simply not doing their job. They're simply not representatives anymore. They're just defendants of autocracy. Okay, then. Well, that will interest uh, our listeners. And tell us before we wind up the chat, Winston, how do you think it's, um, how's it sailing for you at this point? What are we, just under two months or so um, out or or no, um, a month and a half out? Um, do you feel like you're peaking at the right time? How does it feel right now? Well, how about we put aside our feelings and the blandishments and just go for this one fact. When we started off, I said, when New Zealand first takes off in this campaign and it starts to rise, what's the dirt, the filth and the attacks? Oh, well, that's coming. <laughs> and that'll be, that'll be the barometric measure of our success. And it's going big time in terms of unjustified lying and deceit and disinformation about us. And so we're going well and we're going fine and they're not going to win. In fact, I think I learned a new term from you over the weekend, Winston, jerk off journalists. (laughs) Well, of course. Look, as you know, the duty of a reporter is to put all sides of the story. But we have had pages and pages and attacks in the newspaper where they never even emailed me, never even called me for an interview just written what they think, pages of the stuff. And uh, my message to them is, if you think you're going to win, having been bribed for the tune of $55 million in what is called public interest journalism, if you're going to win with that, then I've got news for you and it's all bad. The people out there are entitled to hear the truth. Or as the famous President Roosevelt said at the Great Depression when he was taking his country out of it, look, we might not always get things right, but we'll keep on trying. And that's what we've got to do in a democracy, not just say we're perfect, we know what we're doing, and this is the podium, the podium of truth. And I might say to you, to you, all those people attacking me uh, on these issues or people's, the people's right to know, when the truth is out, well, they'll look like they're stupid, not me. I'm confident of that. So when you're over the target, you're getting the flack, is what you're saying? Ah, oh, where are we going? We've been getting a flag for a number of months as they started to see those halls packed out wall to wall. Hmm. Bigger audiences other leaders are getting, and we're doing it uh, without any mainstream coverage at all. Meanwhile, the rest go to the opening of an envelope or they go to a primary school where there are no voters and they're all on TV at night, 6 o'clock news. When it comes to New Zealand First, all we've had is these journalists saying, what about this? What about Winston? Are you going to speak to Winston? Are you going to rule them in, rule them out, and all that sort of stuff? but they've never got the professional integrity as reporters and journalists to ask me what I and my colleagues will think. How do you like that in a democratic society? Winston, thanks for the catch-up, and hopefully we can talk again before before the day. 
I think for you and your listeners and viewers, this is most important. Winston Peters, New Zealand First Leader, thanks again for coming on RCR. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.